Does your dog do? Well, sharing this today is Bill Robertson. His book is Uncle Bill's Animal Tales, Life Lessons for Adults. Uncle Bill Robertson. All right, Bill, does your dog do? No, and thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about this podcast. So my dog, all right, so what does my dog do? Um, I adopted um, a couple dogs, and one of them was Sophie, which was a cocker spaniel who had dwarfism. And at first I thought, well, that's kind of politically incorrect, you know, shouldn't it, you know. So anyway, I looked it up, and it was quite common in dogs. So I was I was volunteering at an animal shelter, and I was actually walking her mother, which was a cocker spaniel, and she gave birth to 10 puppies. Five didn't make it, four big boys, and my girl did. And my girl was a lot smaller than the others. And I remember I was cleaning out um, one of the upstairs pens, and they were in this big kind of round pen with no top on it. And I turned and looked, and the four big boys all had their paws up, standing in, a, in alignment, one, two, three, four. And sitting next to them was Sophie because she couldn't, you know, she couldn't raise her paws. And she just turned and gave me a look like, are you going to get me the hell out of here or what? <laughs> and I knew that was going to be my dog. So it was literally that expression of, please take me now. <laughs> that's what I did. And she lived to be almost 15 and oh. uh, she passed away in 2019. A wonderful dog. Oh, so sorry. It's so hard. The first question I ask every guest is, when did your love of dogs begin? And it's actually in the book, but it is my parents. It was my parents. We always had a dog growing up. And the way that they treated the dogs, the way that they loved the dogs, they were truly part of our family. I mean, my dad went in on, on D-Day, you know, in World War II, and he went in before like all the tanks went in because he was part of the engineering corps. So he was a, he was very strong and the whole thing. And whenever we'd have to put a dog down, he did it himself. I mean, like not himself, but you know, sure. he took the dog to the vet. Um, he didn't want any of us to, you know, to experience it. And then I would see how it, it broke him a little bit right then and there, like his heart. And um, he just always, I mean, the two of them, both my parents, um, they just loved dogs from day one. And then that became my life and my sister's. Oh, that's beautiful. I want to jump into your book. It's it's a really fun book. I love the way you start it in chapter one, overview my animal thoughts. You write, animals have ways of shedding important life lessons to the humans they come in contact with. That has been my experience so far on this topsy-turvy planet. And then you ask all these great questions. Can they be healers? Are they some of our best teachers? Do they make us think differently or shift our perspective about life? Do animals come into our life for a reason? Can taking care of them lift our spirits, give us purpose and make us better human beings? Uh, yes, 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 yes. And then there's even more questions. So you have to get the book. I love this as well. You write this book is for animal lovers as well as humans who are feeling disconnected, lonely, stuck, looking for meaning in their life and lost in finding their purpose. How have dogs helped you in that arena? To me, they're, they are angels that are here. And, uh, and I read once that the reason why they don't live as long as we do, I mean, their metabolism does run faster, but that they come here already understanding unconditional love. Mm -hmm. They pass it on to us and then they move on. 
I've had, you know, I've been clean and sober coming up on 26 years. That's awesome. Um, I've been through a lot of death in my family and throughout the entire time, my dogs have come up, they've sat in my lap. They can tell when I'm feeling pain, um, when I'm stuck, whatever it is, and they need us to care for them. So it, it gives me this different sense of, you know, it is totally responsibility. You know, they can't open the door to go out. So, you know, they, they've always depended on me. And I think that is part of what the healing is, is that they get us out of ourselves. They get us out of our ego. Yes. You know, and, and it really is, you know, dog spelled backwards is God. And I, I just, I don't know. If I go to a party and someone has a dog, it's the first living being I'm going to talk to. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I spend the whole night just petting the dog. And, oh, yeah, I should probably talk to people. And I'm I'm an extrovert, but you've got a yeah, dog there. It's all over. Yeah. No, it's like, and, and and then, of course, then the dog usually follows me around because they're also thinking, he's so nice, he's probably going to feed me something <laughs> or give me a belly rub. Right. <laughs> now, when you mentioned your parents, you mentioned rescue, and that's been a big part of your life, too. I mean, you, you yes. brought up the story about Sophie and being involved in rescues. Tell us a little bit about that and, and how that's impacted you and your life. I had a cat for 20 years named Casey. And after Casey died, I felt a little lost. I was like, and um, someone mentioned, oh, I know what it was. I was at my spiritual center and um, outside in the parking lot, they would have all these tables for different ministries. And I remember I just walked up, I was just gathering some information and the guy looked at me and he goes, you're going to run the Critter Crusade. And I'm like, what is that? What are, you, what are you talking about? And I just lost the cat. He goes, you're going to have about 15 to 20 people that, um, and you're going to reach out to different animal shelters to see who would need help on a certain day for all of, all of you to go out and clean and walk the dogs and do all the things that they don't have time to do. And that was my first introduction to really being a part of the rescue. Because after that, that one day, it was called Sacred Service Saturday, I ended up going back and I ended up bringing people in to actually paint the place, the inside and the outside. Um, it, it became part of my life, you know, um, and being of service, I think is one of the only, one of the main reasons why we're here. And that's when I was walking Sophie's mom and then I adopted Sophie. And then a few years later, um, I was still um, volunteering there, but I got a call from them saying, we just got, another batch of puppies in. And that's when I ended up getting Tucker. And we had adopted another dog, Bryce, that was a little older. So it really is, once again, if, if you're feeling lost, if you're feeling that you have no purpose, volunteer. And the animal shelters right now, they need help more than ever, more than ever. And if you can foster the same thing, I mean, there's so many people out there that are doing the work that you're doing and that I'm doing around bringing attention to how these incredible beings are here to help us as well as us helping them. We share the planet with them. We don't own the planet. Right. Absolutely. Now, I want to talk a little bit about Sophie. She had some 
health issues. And I know that there was a vet that suggested that you have four of her legs broken and then reset them. But that wouldn't guarantee that Sophie would be out of pain. And I love your response. You write, quote, I was so close to telling her to F off, but instead restrained myself, smiled and simply said, we're not doing that. I can totally picture now you now seeing you with that wonderful, kind, handsome face of yours going. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, no, it was. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I couldn't believe when I and then I said, how much is that going to cost? And she was like around 20,000. But I can't guarantee that she'll be out of pain. And I just looked at her like, okay. And this was another God shot. I then went on a journey to find a solution. And the irony was I got a a lead to another lead to another lead that took me to a vet that was right next door to the rescue I had gotten Sophie from. But the, the head of the rescue and this vet were not on speaking terms. Oh, no. So she didn't recommend I go to him. And when I went to him, and I'm from Boston originally, and I'm waiting in his office, and I look around, and it's all New York Yankee paraphernalia, and even a picture of him with Joe Torrey, the manager at the time. I'm thinking, I'm in enemy territory here. <laughs> but as soon as he saw Sophie Bunny Hop, because she used to bunny hop when she would run because of her dwarfism, it was the cutest damn thing. Um, he just said, and it was so key, he said, Bill, manage her pain. He said, that's what you need to do. He said, having an operation, you'll just F her up more. And um, and then he just went, and as soon as he said F her up, I went, I like him. Right. And and then he said, manage her pain. And then, then that, that began the journey where things like Tramiel, which is a great homeopathic product that you can get at Whole Foods, um, humans can use it. It's so good. And that helped her uh, missing link, which is um, has glucosamine and chondroitin in it that I got at one of the local pet stores. Those type of things, massage, acupuncture. At the end of her life, she was getting a lot of acupuncture and physical therapy. Yeah. And she lived to be, and, and one of the other vets had said, Bill, I hope you know with dwarfism, she's probably going to, probably going to pass away at like eight. She lived to be almost 15. That's incredible. Diagnosis, um, sorry, thank you, but prognosis doesn't have to be what what the doctor says it is. Take it to heart, do what you got to do, but really trust more and more your gut feeling with that animal that you have connected with. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I love about doing the show and getting to read all these great books is I had never heard of Tramelis. Yeah, it, it's called Tramiel. Oh, Tramiel. And they use it with horses. Oh, okay. And you can get it at, at Whole Foods and it can come in liquid. It can come in tablet. Um, I still give it to Tucker once in a while. And that's an anti-inflammatory? It's a homeopathic that is, I guess, considered an anti-inflammatory. Um it's not expensive and and it, it seems to interact with anything. I mean, if you know, if you're really gonna look at it, Google it. That's the thing. Everybody should be able to research anything that you're gonna give your pet. You do wanna talk to your vet, um, and and then research it. But homeopathic tends to interact with anything. All right. Yeah, I mean, I'm on a journey right now, people listening know. I mean, blue, my pity, my angel. He has horrible skin issues and he's always itchy and he's allergic to everything. So I've been working with a integrative vet, uh, more holistic. And right now he's eating a lot of turkey 
and he's doing really well. So that's good. He's still itchy, but not as itchy. And then my lab, Benji, has really bad arthritis. And unlike Sophie, he took to the aquatic therapy, although it's kind of funny because you go, well, yeah, he's a lab. But actually, he didn't really take to it until he was like, basically, we had to like drag him into the pool, which sounds awful. But once he was in the pool, he would do fine. And it that helped him as well. And also some cold laser therapy. And I'm probably going to get Benji some acupuncture and some chiropractic. Oh, my God. Yeah. And there is a thing in the book. Um, I mention it and it's called care credit. And oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And research that because um, when I picked up and it was an animal hospital that told me about it because Sophie had Sophie had gotten really, really sick. She was throwing up. I thought, mm-hmm. oh, my God, this is it. Got her to got her to, um, to an animal hospital and they they thought it, when it might be cancer and they researched and the bill was getting up over a thousand dollars. And they kept telling me about how much it was going to cost. And, uh, and then they said, Bill, do you have care credit? And I went, what are you talking about? And they put me on the phone with them. They gave me a credit line. At the time, you have six months to pay it off with no interest. And if you're with them over time, now I have a year to pay off the bill with no interest. Oh, that's fantastic. And let me tell you, and, you know, and my dogs always have um, um, dog insurance. So what I would do is put oh, the bill on the dog. and uh, No, I put the bill on care credit. And then I submit it to the insurance company. Then I get the check from them to pay off the care credit. (laughs) And it really works well. But what happened with Sophie that time, they ended up having to go in and they did a endoscopy. They had found she had swallowed some of the stuffing of a toy. And they took it out piece by piece. And they were, I think they were even, I mean, I was so ecstatically happy they were over the top happy that they had saved Sophie's life. It was really amazing. Yeah. You know, I'm lucky that my dogs don't ingest things they're not supposed to, for the most part. Benji can stuff many, many socks in his mouth, but he doesn't eat them. I know other people have labs who eat the socks and then have the obstruction and then the expensive surgery and then the fear and the whole thing. So Benji, you want to carry around the socks? He's looking at me. You, You go ahead. Let's talk a little bit about Bryce. I love this. You write, quote, Bryce taught me to enjoy every moment. Don't judge a book by its cover and to love unconditionally, which all of the dogs I've met in my life continue to teach me. He was a real knucklehead. I love that. I know that word. When you use the word knucklehead, I know when people go, oh, that person's a knucklehead. There's there's an affection most of the time with it. What do you mean yes. by that? Oh, yeah. He was just a goofball. Um, yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> we were told he was two when we adopted him or might be two. And then I ended up finding the old owner because he also had a lot of skin issues uh-huh. and stuff. And he was eight. Oh, my gosh. And we didn't have him for, for long. I think it was nine months, 10 months, and he died of a heart attack. I mean, oh. Yeah, he had pumphigus foliaceus, which is AIDS for dogs. Why he was a knucklehead. So Sophie was here, um, and this was before I got Tucker. We had Bryce, and Sophie was not having it. And she was just not pleased about Bryce being there. And Bryce, what he did, he acknowledged that she had been there first, and he was a lot taller than her. And I would run through the house and they would chase me one behind the other, both carrying stuffed animals. And I would look and see Bryce. Bryce had like kind of a pompadour hairdo. (laughs) The neighborhood kids used to call him Frankenstein. (laughs) And, And he was just a big goofball. Like I had a barbecue in the first weekend that we had him here. And I had a bunch of people in my backyard 
And um, one of my friends was yelling, Bell, Bell. And I look and she's got a hold of a drumstick and Bryce has a hold of the other end. And she's like, what am I supposed to do? And I was like, let go, <laughs> give him the drumstick and we'll get it out of him later. But he was, yeah, he just, I don't know. I, like we would, I when I'd walk him, he just had that look like, I'm here, I'm here just to, you know, just to be me, <laughs> just to be myself and be a goof. And, uh, but when he would follow Sophie and Sophie did not like him, but he would just continue to bop around behind her. And it was just the cutest thing. Oh, that is so cute. Now, Tucker, I love this. You write, when we first saw her, she looked like a baby raccoon. You also mentioned that she had a hormone deficiency. So her hair stopped growing on her sides. Everyone's got to get the book so they can see this cutie. Uh, Tell us a little bit more about Tucker. Tucker, um, another dermatology bill of over $4,000 to then realize that she has a hormone deficiency and she's fine. So (laughs) (laughs) she looks a little different. I don't care about her cut because, you know, her friends aren't going to make fun of her. She, um, She has no hair on her sides. But what I discovered is that melatonin for Mm. dogs grows hair. Really? So it grew. So she grew a comb over, right? Literally. (laughs) She had a little comb over on her. So whenever anyone sees her, at first they think, does she have a problem? But she has a lot of other hair, but just on her sides, there's no hair there. And, um, you know, and she's a mix. I think she's a Papillon mix. She was brought into the shelter with a couple other puppies. And um, she's, you know, she's going to be, well, she is 15 now. Um, And she's having some health issues, but she rallies like most older dogs. But the skin thing, yeah, I made the mistake of, I mean, we have to remember vets are there to definitely help. And, and, and most of them love what they do. But there's also others that, you know, they work for a large corporation. There's a bottom line and they're going to upsell you. So you just have to be aware of when it's time to walk away. And that's what I did with the derma. I was like, you know, she doesn't have to look perfect because right. none of us are perfect. True. Let's, you know, let's really embrace our imperfections. You know, um, it, that's that's what makes dogs so great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just want Blue to not be so itchy, but if he was that's missing it. hair, I wouldn't, whatever. I just want him to be comfortable. That's why I've gone the integrative route so I can get some other things going on. There's a lot of supplements he takes now and... Because, you know, the whole idea, like he can keep getting these shots or keep getting these pills, but they're, you know, dampening his immune system. And then that causes for more issues. I mean, it's very difficult. It's a hard, it's a hard balance. Well, acupuncture, you know, um, I get acupuncture when usually whenever anything ails me, it's how I quit smoking. Oh, great. I mentioned in the book also the acupuncturist that I went to, she specialized in dogs. So when I went in to get acupuncture for the first time, I was literally sitting next to a collie and a bulldog on either side of me, waiting for them to call me in. And I'm like, what is going on here? You know? And she, I remember there was a dog that she brought out from the back that had like, a, um, um, its back legs weren't working. So it was kind of hooked up to, you know, to like, a, almost like a, um, a wheelbarrow or yeah it was like a wheelbarrow type thing but her first my first interaction with this woman was look he got wheels for christmas 
and <laughs> brought the dog out. But acupuncture for the dogs, and a couple acupuncturists have, have mentioned this to me, Bill, this has been around for 4,000 years. Yep. The medications that they give your dog has been around for less than 50. Yeah. So that's a great side point. effects are inevitable. But, and, and they did say, you know, eventually, um, you know, Western medicine will figure out how to make things that don't have so many side effects. But acupuncture and herbs, now I'm careful with herbs with, with dogs, because that did, I think that kind of set Bryce down. I did go to an herbalist on that, and I don't know if it was part of the issue or not, but they actually made a tincture out of his blood, trying to heal him that way. And, um, and it was rough because he had already had that that disease. And boy, talk about itch and smell. It was horrifying. And that would, yeah, that's our main thing as dog people, because I can tell you're a dog person, is that we're their guardians, we're their friends, we're their family. I'm not I'm not Tucker's owner. Right. I hate that term. You yeah. know, and that's just me. No, I understand. So, yeah. So instead, if I'm a guardian, that means I'm here, you know. Like a friend of mine works at a rescue and he tells everyone whenever they're going to adopt a puppy, you have to, you have to make a commitment for at least 15 years. So yeah. go into it with that. This, this being is joining my family for at least 15 years. And if you can't commit to that, you probably shouldn't adopt a dog. Yes. You know, it really is. It's, it's how much we care about them. So, you know, with them, um, I can't say enough about acupuncture. Can't say enough. I mean, I was smoking a pack and a half a day. And after three sessions, it was as if I had never been a smoker. Took away the craving completely. And I haven't had a cigarette in over 20 years. Does your family include a dog or a cat? Would you like to be better educated on how to advocate for their health naturally? Then why not check out all of the amazing resources on naturallyhealthypets.com. Dr. Judy Morgan is a trusted advisor and a regular guest here on the Dog-Eared Podcast. She has over 38 years experience as an integrative veterinarian, acupuncturist, chiropractor, food therapist, author, speaker, podcast host, and owner of Dr. Judy Morgan's Naturally Healthy Pets. Dr. Judy's goal is to change the lives of pets by educating and empowering pet parents just like you in the use of natural healing therapies and minimizing the use of chemicals, vaccinations, and poor quality processed food. Head on over to naturallyhealthypets.com where you'll discover healthy product recommendations, comprehensive courses, the Naturally Healthy Pets podcast, informative blogs, upcoming events, and so much more. Again, that's naturallyhealthypets.com, the place to learn how to give your pet the vibrant life that they deserve. You had mentioned earlier that you've had a lot of loss and your parents passed away in 2010 within four months of each other. Yeah. That, oh my goodness. And your dogs were there for you. And that's, that's huge. Talk to us about that. Yeah. My parents were married for 64 years. Oh my um, they had never been with anybody other than each other. And 
in 2010, my dad at the age of 89, you know, his heart started to fail and he ended up in hospice and he passed mm-hmm. away. My mother was 85 and was still working um, four days a week at, at a um, making chocolate at a place in um, Chatham, Massachusetts called the Candy Manor. Mm. And um, she, um, you know, she was out having lunch with my sister and, um, and she was driving home and she was hit broadside and killed in a car accident. Oh. Four months after my dad died. And she had said to me two weeks prior, Bill, I want to come out and see you and your dogs. And, um, and, and then I don't want to be here anymore. And, you know, she wasn't going to commit suicide or anything, but so she was killed in a car accident. So I remember the day it happened and, um, and Sophie and Tucker just rallied around me. I remember sitting on the floor, you know, um, obviously crying and Sophie just came over and climbed in my lap immediately. And Tucker came and just sat in front of me Mm. because they knew they could feel it. Yes. I mean, I've been through this so many times with animals over the years. Um, They, they just know, you know, and that was, they immediately brought me, um, you know, some grace. They brought me um, an understanding that I was, I was loved. Yeah. Prior to, to them dying, my relationship had ended like four months prior to them both oh. dying. Um, so it was like, or even less time than that. It was the, that year was rough. And then of course, you know, 2011 was also rough because you're still dealing with it. And I still deal with it today because, you know, we I loved my parents, but the dogs. Yeah. I, I can't, you know, it's like, if you're, Friends of mine that also live alone that might that might be single at the time, um, just having another living being in the house, whether it's a cat or a dog, I think is so important. I heard a comic say, you've got to have another set of eyes looking at you. That's what you need when you're living alone, just to be able to see another set of eyes. He was like, even a goldfish, just have some eyes looking at you. But um yeah, I'll probably always have a dog in my life. It's a big commitment, yes. you know, but you can work around it. You can figure things out, especially if you love your dog, you know, more than traveling the world. Oh, absolutely. No, I'd much rather be with my dogs. Now, let's talk about your family dog, Tam McTavish. Yep, Very McTavish. Yeah. <laughs> Scottish Terrier. Tell us about Tam. Oh, geez, Tam. Tam was, yeah, Tammy was independent. Tammy was, um, she was a funny dog. My dad, um, you know, we never, we never got a, and this is no, no um, slight on the breeders, but my my parents were big believers also that you didn't um, you didn't get a dog from a breeder. They ended up either getting them at a shelter or for some reason my dad would constantly meet someone who said, "Ah, oh, I can't keep my dog," <laughs> and my dad would grab it and bring it home. Um, and that's what happened with Tam McTavish. Somebody he saw the dog in the car. My dad was from Glasgow, Scotland. He saw the dog said something. The guy said, ah, I've got to get rid of it because we're, you know, my wife is allergic or whatever it was and brought him home, brought her home. And uh, yeah, she was feisty. She really was like whenever we would go to leave and she'd be in the kitchen staring at us and we'd go out because every time we'd come home, the dish towels would be on the floor and they used to hang them on a, on a, on a, on part of the stove. Yeah. 
So then we, we left the house one time and we looked through the window. As soon as we left, she pulled it down onto the floor and then went into the other room. It was her way of saying, <laughs> okay, you know, you can leave, but I'm going to mess up your house. Right. You know? And that's what she would do. Um, she was she was my dad's dog, you know. I mean, she was a family dog, but when there was a dog in the house, they gravitated to my dad. As a teenager growing up, you know, I think they realized that my dad was um, not as selfish. Teenagers can be a little selfish sometimes, and my dad had lived a pretty, you know, intense life. So they would always, and he would sit there and pat them for hours hours so yeah they just gravitated toward him um i mean i was always walking and playing with them but it was different and now that i've you know i'm older and being you know in my own home with with dogs of course they come to me oh yeah now was sophie then your first dog that was yours just yours yes sophie was my first right after the cat that i had for 20 years passed away um sophie was my first dog and then Bryce was my second and Tucker is my third. And I'm hoping, you know, I can have dogs for the rest of my life. Yeah, me too. Now, everyone who listens to the show knows that I'm a pit bull fanatic. And you have the wonderful story about the seven pit bull puppies and how, tell us about them. Yeah, I love pitties. Um, oh, they're the best. They love belly rubs, I think, more than any other dog, at least the ones I've met. And they're usually big babies. You know, they're just, you know, talk about knuckleheads. They really are. They're so funny. They're really good. We call ours Mr. Baby. He cries to go out. He cries for attention. He cries if he wants to eat. He cries if you're not petting him enough. And he just wants to sit with you and snuggle. And I can hold him like a baby. I mean, he's big, but it's beautiful. They're really, I was at a, um, I was at a party recently. I, you know, I live in LA and it was kind of a, a, a industry party and, and, so I was sitting at a table eating and I turn and look and there's a pit bull named Sheila and Sheila's just sitting there with one paw raised, just staring at me, the one <laughs> paw. And she kept it up the whole time. She just kept that paw raised. Like, look, look what I can do. But um, the pit bulls that you were talking about. Yeah. I go to the Agape International Spiritual Center and uh, it's, it's non-denominational kind of new thought here in LA. And um we do sacred service Saturday every year. We're like about 700 of us go out all over LA and we do service commitments. It could be at a woman's shelter. It could be whatever it might be. And there was this, I ran the critic crusade for years, as I mentioned earlier, and we were out planting trees in this big uh, pasture area where the dogs from, from the shelter would get a chance to run out and play. It was really very well put together. I think it was in San Pedro. And um, and so we were planting big, big trees for them. So we'd give them shade too. And somebody came in with a box of pit bull puppies that they had found in an alley. Oh, they're so And cute. I didn't even have to say anything. All the people on my team got on their cell phones. And within three hours, they were all adopted out. Oh. Or they were at least committed because the the shelter had to make sure that they were weaned and the whole thing and that they were, you know, um, but they already had all these commitments to take them. We called them the Agape Seven. 
because there were seven pit bulls. But it was interesting because I'd be working, you know, doing my volunteer work and I'd look and there'd be a woman on a phone going, I got another one. I got another interest. And it was just, it became this whole thing to help these puppies find a home. Oh, that is so nice. Now tell us about the group you ran, Spotlight the Good. Oh, Spotlighting the Good. Yeah. Spotlight the Good. Um, It's on YouTube. We only did, I think we did like four episodes. Um, What we did is we looked for organizations that were doing some good around animals. Nice. Um, And we found some amazing, you know, people. Um, We, um, we would highlight different um, um, uh, animal shelters in the area. There was a woman who wrote a book about, you know, how to, how to um, set up a rescue. And um, so we would go and just interview them and put it on YouTube and try and get, you know, as many viewers as possible. We did one that was called, um, oh God, if I can remember it, I, um, I don't even know if it's still around, but it was an organization that they got veterans to help train dogs in order to give the dogs to other veterans who had PTSD. So it was veterans helping veterans through dogs. Unbelievable organization. And they they had a whole full training center up in Northern California. Um, And then I think they were based out of Virginia. I can't remember the name of the organization now. It might be in my book. I'd have to go back and look, but they were they were pretty amazing. That there were places. There's 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 hundreds of these places. It's like um, if you haven't seen it, the Asher House on Facebook with Lee Asher is doing some amazing work. He has a a dog sanctuary, actually an animal sanctuary in Oregon. He's got he's got thirty six dogs on a very very like acres acres, and he. You know, he walks the dogs on these giant pack runs and he talks about life. So if you haven't seen the Asher house, I highly recommend it on Facebook. Um, and Lee Asher is the guy's a young guy. And he he's I think he's trying to set these things up all over the place um, so that they help animals, especially dogs. And that, you know, so that they're not in the shelters. Right. There's no reason. I just my own opinion. I don't think there should be shelters. I think that each each government um, of of each state should be able to set up sanctuaries like this, hire people to take care of them, and of course adopt them out. Yeah, absolutely. Not, you know, God, you put a dog in a in a cage where all the other dogs are barking, and it's just it's hard. It is hard. Speaking of hard, uh, what do you say to people who say, well, I can't volunteer in an animal shelter because I'd want to take every single animal home. And my husband would be like, no way. Oh, no, it's a good <laughs> point. I've I've been stumped. Or my it. wife or my partner or whoever. Yeah. I know I need to get back to doing some more volunteer work at, at, at a shelter. And it's hard. I'm not going to deny it. It really is. I think you have to approach it that I'm going to bring some love to this place today that might help a dog's life be a little bit better today, that they might trust a human, might help them get closer to finding their forever home. Um, You know, if I can toss a few bucks to the shelter or bring some blankets or whatever it is that they need, because there are a lot of different ways to support them. You can financially, you know, kind of adopt a shelter. 
um, um, or find out, literally just call them and say, what do you need? They're not going to hold back. They're going to tell you what they need. And sometimes it's even food that they don't have enough food coming in where they feel a little skittish about, are we going to run out of food? So I, I don't think that there can be enough volunteers. Now, keep in mind too, and I've worked in, and I've volunteered in several of these places. There are some people who will take kind of ownership of it, that they're there all the time. And they, they're going to shame you a little bit sometimes, not always, but it, it, it's just a matter that I think it's it's what your intention is and purpose when you go there. Um, and I really do feel the more interaction they have with loving humans, the better their life is for that day. All right, Bill. So the name of the book is Uncle Bill's Animal Tales by Uncle, you have that in quote, Bill Robertson. Talk to us about this uncle situation. Sure. And, and I hope I sent you, it's Life Lessons for Adults, because it's not a children's book. I wanted to make sure people knew <laughs> it's not a children's book. Um, it, uh, Uncle Bill, it's, it's, it's kind of a strange story. When I was growing up in, um, in the Boston area, um, I grew up with a lot of, um, there were probably about 15 of us, um, men and I mean, girl, boys and girls, and they were getting into a bit of trouble you know, with things, um, they would even consider themselves a gang, please. Um, <laughs> but they would, you know, attempt to do things or talk about, you know what, we're going to break into that house later on. And I'm, and I would constantly be like, no, you, you really don't want to do that. I mean, what are you doing? And one guy <laughs> turned to me and said, you're such an uncle pill. Now keep in mind, this was in the seventies and there was a television program on the sixties called family affair. Yes, I remember. Ryan Keith and his character's name was Uncle Bill. So they would, I don't, I think that's how they came up with it, but they called me Uncle Bill. And I go to college and this woman out of the blue, you know, said, um, and I would, I was smoking pot at the time. I've been clean and sober coming up on 26 years. And the, the girl said, Uncle Bill, you want to get high? And I went, how do you know that nickname? And she was like, oh, you're just such an Uncle Bill. And I went, what? And I, <laughs> My sister did have a kid, so I was an uncle. And then I got into corporate America, and I swear to God, somebody called me Uncle Bill. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, the neighborhood I live in in Los Angeles, one of my neighbors called me Uncle Bill. <laughs> now, maybe it's because I have dogs, you know. Um, wild. It was just weird. So when, when I decided to write the book um, – a friend of mine said, why don't you call it Uncle Bill? You know, Uncle Bill's animal stories, I think at the time they were calling it. And I went, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, you know what? Because I am kind of an Uncle Bill. And I'm always <laughs> taking care of people and helping out different things. So, and it's funny, ironic. I just got a text message from the woman who recommended I write the book. She has no idea I'm on this podcast. She just texted. Oh my gosh, that is so funny. I know, and I want to ask about that. For, but first, I have to show off that I was a kid in the seventies. Oh no, that's the wrong song. I was about to do my three sons. I remember my three sons. But what is what is the one with the family affair? Family affair sounds like my three sons, but um, I don't know. I haven't seen it in years, but. I remember it was kind of an upbeat tune. It was with Brian Keith and Sebastian Cabot. 
I can't believe I can't remember. I have one of those brains for especially songs. Oh my God. It'll come to me right when we're done. Maybe I'll, I'll, uh, I'll sing it. I'll put a something, not that anybody gives. And I think they're running reruns again on a, on a site called decades. Oh, okay. I love old stuff. That's so funny. Oh my gosh. All right. So, so the woman who just texted you was the one who said, Bill or uncle Bill, why don't you write a book? And what was your first reaction to that? Cause that's a big task. Yeah. I mean, she said, you have so many stories about animals because I was telling her another story about Tucker, I think it was. And over over COVID, my backyard turned into wild kingdom. It was <laughs> wild. I mean, it's crazy. I have a photo of Tucker laying in the sun and there's a bird right at the end of her paw looking at her. Oh, Just wow. like this, like right, like right at the end of her paw. So I went... Oh yeah, you know maybe I will write a book. So what I I I, I always turn to a legal pad first because um I'm I I work as a writer. I'm a screenwriter and a playwright, and I've written for National Lampoon magazine. And I wrote you're very people. funny. Oh, thank you. I'm not surprised. Yeah. yeah, and I have a feature film coming out in 2023 that I wrote um, a musical comedy. It's called Paradise, a town of sinners and saints. So keep your eyes open based on a, on a live stage production that we ran in LA and also in Austin, Texas. But um, yeah, so I just started writing down the stories as they came to me and I wrote them all separately. And then once I accumulated all of that, I went, I have a book. Yeah. And, and then that's when I started putting it together. And then I co-published it with Platypus Publishing and a little different than self-publishing. It's kind of a, a hybrid of that. And um, and that was really it. And then, of course, my the number one lesson in writing is there's no such thing as writing. There's only rewriting. <laughs> yes. And you rewrite and you rewrite and you rewrite. I, You know, the, the one point I wanted to make, too, is it is when you put pen to paper, it really is giving voice to what lives within you. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's, you know, everybody's got a book in them. Everybody has a book in them. And we all want to read them. We all want to know, wow, that really happened in your life. That's really amazing, you know. Yeah. Well, you are you have such a great personality and you're so okay. much fun. And I really love the book. I highly recommend people get it. Uncle Bill's Animal Tales, Life Lessons for Adults by Uncle Bill Robertson. The book is on, um, it's on Amazon. And um, I'm also on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn and the whole thing. So you can find it there. The um, The movie, you can go to the website paradisebluegrassmusical.com and you can actually hear some of the 21 original songs in it. It's R-rated but uh, or maybe PG-13, but I would say it's probably going to get an R-rating. <laughs> maybe. We'll see. <laughs> um, it did get distribution through Artist View Entertainment. So we'll see what happens nice. now. They're going to take it to market. But regarding the book, yeah, Amazon, I have an author's page on Amazon as well. Um, I'm looking into getting it some other places like Barnes & Noble. Just haven't done it yet. Um, and then I'm going to be working on uh, my second and third book. Wow, that's fantastic. Be sure to check out Bill Robertson, his wonderful book and his movie. Oh my goodness, how exciting. And keep coming back to Dog Eared. You can check me out. You can check yes. out my good boys at Lisa Davis MPH on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. Great review, subscribe, and keep coming back. <laughs>